All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 165 of the DFO Rundown. And uh, today's guest, I'm excited. We're going to have the GM of the Dallas Stars, Jim Nill, joining us uh, in a little bit. Uh, I'm Jason Greger, and uh, we welcome in Frank Saravalli. Fresh off something Frank has never done in his life. Three games in a row... In the A and the NLCS, you're at the game, Frank. The Phillies win all of them, including a Bryce Harper two-run blast in the eighth inning after a rainy day uh, in Philly. Dude, you must be flying high right now. Pretty awesome Philly sports weekend. I mean, just this team, man. I I, I thought they. I said to you before. I thought they would get to the World Series. You know, once they were in this matchup, but to win it in five and not have to go back to San Diego, uh, to be trailing that Bryce Harper home run, like you're gonna hear the echoes of that for decades in this town. Like people will be referring to that as the Bryce Harper home run. Like that's how unbelievable it was. Um, he's a whole mood. He's a whole. He's something he's it's, it's wild to see. And this just goes for any sport, but to see someone get paid $330 million and deliver, like it, I feel like it so rarely happens, but he's been money. Like I've never seen someone come to the plate and know that they're going to get a hit. Well, what do they call him? I think they call him the showman. That's his nickname. And, you know, he just has a has a feel for it. But I was watching that game, Frank, and you know what? Uh, Sitting through the rain, man. Oh, oh 
How much? Like how many- it was a legit rain for like four innings. Well, I was stunned at one point. They didn't stop it. Like you could, I don't know if you saw the uh, uh, the gift of the manager. He's on there. He's like, look at the rain. <laughs> As, well, you know, because there was it cost the, the Phillies the, the lead because Sir Anthony Dominguez, their one reliever, he threw three wild pitches in one inning. He had thrown three all season. Like you mean to tell me it's because he's quaking in the moment? No, I, it's because his hands wet, his foot keeps slipping. Like it was outrageous that they played through it, but. Whatever. Oh man, the fans are like Philly fans are pretty passionate. Man. They were just losing their minds at that point. I understand, but you know what it does, Frank? It adds to the folklore of that story many years later when you're sitting around the bar and people are like, you know, like I, I don't know what the capacity is. I think it's forty seven thousand. There'll be like a hundred and forty seven thousand people. Oh yeah, say there. Every yeah, everyone will have been there for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, pretty awesome hey. though. Went with my son, took my dad and my sister. It was oh. pretty great. Oh, that's a huge moment, man. Like yeah. your son, your kid, and, and he's old enough to remember. Like he'll remember that. But it's really funny now trying to explain the concept. Like, cause like there was so much celebration, like be like, okay, now it's the world series. Like what? Like he's like, there's something more to go. Like, <laughs> so he's still kind of like, well, like, well, so what does it mean when you win the world series? I'm like, that means you're the world champion. Like he's like, he's trying to grasp that. And it's hilarious. Well, because every round in bait, like every round you're celebrating. It feels like a championship, right? Which is great. Like that's what sports is supposed to be for. There's more fun emotions. I love it. Like I, I wish, um, you know, teams would fly off the bench when they'd win a series in, in round one, because you can't get to the cup if you don't win round one or round two or round three. So, um, you know, good for them. It'll be a story. I have a sense that the majority of fans from other markets are rooting for the Phillies over the Astros. They're still, well, I know for me personally. Like, is it because still, they cheated? Yes, 100%. And I would look and say, you know what? That'd be fair karma if they lost again. That would be three times in four years that they lost in the World Series. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I got to be honest, though. I'm not feeling very confident. No, it's a tough out. There's no question about it. It's a tough out. So I feel like I, this is especially now to take five days now between games for the Phils. Like They're a team that's been riding momentum. It's really hard to then take a break for five days. Yeah. I wonder the Astros already did that, right? Like yeah. during the, the uh, wild card round, they didn't play. So they already had a break and proved that they could, they've rolled through the playoffs. Yeah. So well, you, you got to ride your team now, buddy. You can, if you don't go in with any hope, it's no fun. You got to, I know that's, that's some straight negadelphia for you right there. So, <laughs> so what was the, was, was the Harper, was that the loudest of the three games that moment? Um, I actually think Friday night was way louder. Okay. But I also think it depends on where you're sitting. Like I was all over the place. I was in, you know, different sections and I felt like uh, certain parts were just louder. What do you mean? Your, your seats are in different sections for each game. Yeah. The, that's the way it worked out this time. Yeah. That I just, it was all over the place. And I was like, I don't know. It's weird how your experience changes depending on where you are. So where was, where of the three days, where'd you sit? So the two, the first two times we were in the middle club level and then the, the third game yesterday was right behind home plate. And I felt like the other games, it was way louder being higher up. Oh but yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Better vantage point for game three, better vantage point for game three. Yes. Hmm. I've never sat behind the plate at an MLB game. Sat down. I usually I sit down the first baseline. I don't know why, but that's kind of always it's pretty cool to see the action on the yes. ball. 
Yes, hundred percent. So, and I love when people in the in like the four hundred, like the fourth level, complain about balls and strikes. Like, how could you have possibly seen it from there? There's no chance, dude. Like, I know that umpires get a lot of ripping on that. You you watch that from home plate. Like, you're talking at ninety miles, ninety five, a hundred miles an hour. You're talking the difference of an inch. It, it yeah. it's a ball or strike, like, and they're like ninety five percent correct. I think it's great. Like. Yeah. People so wait, TV. so this they're they're thinking of as you know about getting rid of umpires yes. and going to the robocall. No, so you're a hard no on that. I I, I don't think I even I, if it means getting it a hundred percent right or wrong every time. I think that adds to kind of the to the game a, a little bit that you know one one is you know sometimes you get a ball that's a strike and sometimes you get a strike that a ball I think it works both ways what happens is people only remember the time when the, there's a, a ball called on a strike that's for their team right I um, and I know that they you know now that oh this guy was 87 percent or this guy was 92 percent and yeah it cuts both ways yeah and like some of those curveballs man like from the time it's the movement on the ball is is so crazy for the last few feet that it's like how do you expect anyone to be perfect on that and we shouldn't expect anybody to be perfect so i would yeah. be against it okay yeah but something tells me they'll probably do it like baseball like it's funny when you look at baseball and compare it to hockey strictly from an analytics standpoint the reason that baseball is much more accurate is every play starts at the exact same point yep. all the time like you you had a game the other it's day it's repeatable yeah, there was eight minutes and like 40 seconds without a whistle. Like it's it's complete chaos and unpredictability. Like you can't. You it's can't all random. Compare the two. Yeah, it's completely yeah. random. So I remember Rob Volman telling me they thought that there was 38% of the game virtually impossible as far as predictions go. So, you know, your analyst. I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher than that. Yeah, well, that's what he said. He said that would be the best they could get to. And he felt at the time they were around like 43 or 4. And this is a guy who studies it immensely. He's one of the highly respected analytics guys. So it just kind of shows you that wow. hockey's hockey's a sport with so much unpredictability. And there's not a, a constant base on where you start from, you know, that it's, it's really hard to get a read on it. You know who had the anti-Philadelphia weekend? Vancouver. Oh, buddy. Are you seeing that, like... Bo Horvat, I, hey, I respect his honesty, man. Let, so talking? let me ask you this. So, okay, so Horvat and his comments, okay? Horvat says, I don't know if we're ever, basically, it's you start to wonder whether you're ever going to win here. That's his yeah. comment. Yeah. Then you've got Jim Rutherford, the president of Hockey Ops, on After Hours, who casually tosses in the word rebuild. Then you've got the coach, Bruce Boudreaux, standing there at the podium. This is all happening on Saturday night, while jerseys are thrown onto the ice and the coach openly questions their effort. Oh dude. Which part of those is the most alarming? Which one of the three? I thought that, well, alarming. I'm going to say, well, the most refreshing was Bo Horvat because I love honesty. Right. And, and, and the frustration in the moment, uh, here's a player who's also a pet in UFA. I, I think that's the one he's the captain of the team. And it was off to a good start himself where you look and say, geez, you know, like that, that kind of gives you a, a sense of just how much pressure that the entire organization is feeling early on through only six games for goodness sakes. Like, mm. but it's, it's the six first games of the season and they found ways to lose repeatedly. 
I think that's fair to say. Like they, they've been in control of lots of their games and completely gassed them with three goal leads and two goal leads repeatedly. So yeah, like they're a team that has no confidence. Rutherford, when he brought up rebuild, uh, you're right, friend. He also said like, people don't understand how long a rebuild takes. I've said it. And you know, I've looked at all the numbers, man, like eight years minimum. If we're doing a legit rebuild, it's eight years minimum. People thinking otherwise are kind of dreaming. So what's he hinting at? Well, he's saying, because he was, he said it uh, like, I got the sense that he was saying like, Hey, rebuilds are way harder than people think. I don't think we're at a rebuild stage yet. Cause they, cause they don't have enough. They're not bad enough to be a rebuild team. That's just, they also bad. don't have anything coming. Like there's their, their pipeline yeah. isn't burgeoning of with prospects. Like it, it's like you, you'd have to tear it down. Oh, you'd have to do what Chicago did. Right. And Chicago is only halfway through. They're halfway. Uh, they're just starting. But but not. But they've met like outside of the the fake playoffs. Right? Oh, you mean tearing it down? Yeah, yeah. Oh like, no, they're, they're they're really just starting. Yeah, but they're halfway also, through their teardown. Yeah, but the, but they've also been missing the playoffs for five years. Like I don't I don't include the fake year of playoffs, right? Because no. they wouldn't have made. They were twenty fourth place that year. They wouldn't have made the playoffs if COVID doesn't come. So. They basically missed the playoffs since 2016, I think it is. So they, you know, they're they're going to be in pain for a long time. And and you look at Vancouver, and you're you're right that they don't like you know they're they haven't they didn't have a first rounder in 21. They didn't have a first rounder in 2020. Um, you know, Pod Colson and Hall Glanner, and Hall Glanner was just sent down. Right, those are their top two picks from from 2019. So like. It's hard to have a lot of young guys come in. We'll see. Maybe some of their depth guys show up. Like, it's it's too early to say. But they have, like, Demko's a legit goalie. I'd say he's a top 10 goalie in the NHL, right? Um, Quinn Hughes, really good defenseman. Bo Horvat, Pedersen. Like, they have enough good players that I don't think Vancouver, as they're constructed now, can go into a rebuild unless they trade away everybody. And I'm just not sure that that's what they necessarily need to do. They're kind of they're stuck in purgatory, Frank. They're, they're not good enough to be a cup contender, but they're not bad enough to be a lottery contender. I, I don't know. I don't know how they get this back on the rails. It well, feels like the together. proverbial 18 wheeler. Yeah. They got to stay together. Otherwise you're like, this can, it can go. But it are, Doesn't it already feel like they're fracturing? Like, and I listened to Bo Horvat's comments and you said, honest, that sounded to me like a guy who doesn't want to be there anymore. Well, I think when you say you don't think that you can ever get there, that to yeah. me is like a guy that's like, all right. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say he's he's pretty frustrated with the situation. I'm sure you, you tap in that he hasn't signed a contract yet, right? That might play a part in it for sure. But maybe like, he doesn't want to now. Maybe he's not. going like, hey, I could just, I could get the same money somewhere else. It's not about the money. Why do I need the headache? Well, I, I look at Bo Horvat, Frank. I think there's a lot of teams that'd be interested in Bo Horvat. Like Bo Horvat, I know there is. Is a really good second line center. He's a really good second line center, right? He'd be an elite third line center, depending on how deep your center ice position is, right? Like, um, it's funny when I when I saw those, you know, I always look to say, okay, like what could be like a blockbuster trade that would surprise people? Like if if I was a team, like you look at Nazem Kadri, and Bo Horvat doesn't have the, you know that. He doesn't cross the line like Kadri did in his career, but I look at him as a very similar player. And he really helped Colorado who had lots of skill. So I, I think Bo Horvat, if 
if Vancouver keeps tailing. And again, I t- it's only six games. Like Vancouver could win three in a row, Frank. And because the West Division has a lot of other teams off to slow starts, Vancouver's not out of it by any stretch of the imagination. And that's what they have to, I think they've got to be refocused and say, okay, guys, let's exhale here a bit. Calm down. You win two or three games and suddenly you're right in the race in the West, like early on. I, what do you, so what do you think is more likely? Because Jim Rutherford did say, you know, you can't make a panic move. No. But what do you think is more likely, the coach or a trade? Well, early on, I'm not sure either. Right now, the problem is they've got Carolina tonight. So, right. Like, Carolina. honestly, I don't think anything's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Like to me, to fire Bruce Boudreaux right now, like you just fired your, now they did get a, they, they improved when they, then they fired their coach last year and Travis Green, but there seemed to be a lot of, you know, coaching and players and a lot of the best guys were playing well, but this year Pedersen has a pointy game, right? Bo Horvat's already got four goals. So unlike last year, when your offensive guys weren't scoring, this year they are scoring. They're, they can't defend, right? Like they're giving, and when I say defend, it's the entire team. It's not just the defenseman. You look at some of the offensive turnovers that, that, that they have that lead to goals and transition the other way. It's been killing them. So I think it's a complete team effort. I think it would be the, it would be the worst message Rutherford and the management group could send is to fire the coach and basically give the players, ah, it's not you again. I, I wouldn't do that. Feels like something's coming there. Mm, it might be. It might be. It's definitely a storyline to watch. Uh, there's, there's no question. But I don't know that I've ever seen that kind of th- three huge pillars in your organization are out there saying those things after six games. I don't think I've ever seen it before. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what's funny, Frank, because if you look you – know, in the, in the East, I don't think there's any team that's had like a terrible start. The Islanders, I know, are two and four and they're in last place. So maybe them, but even them, you're like, okay, we're two and four. You're, you're three points behind, you know, the Rangers in Carolina for a playoff spot. It's not, it's not crazy. In the West, Vancouver's had a bad start. Uh, Arizona, you know, Anaheim, Minnesota, San Jose, you know, Edmonton and Winnipeg are both two and three. I think they would prefer a better start. It's not terrible, but there's so much added angst this year and i'm i'm looking at the stands and i'm like like we we know arizona's out of it so i don't even really include them they got a terrible schedule to start they you know they, their home rink is is a college rink you know they're not they're not trying to win we know that but you know you and san jose wasn't expected to be that good anyway um i look at minnesota they're one three and one like it's not an awful five game stretch right they they kind of turned it around with that win and then an overtime loss i uh there, there's no teams that are really out of it. Even Vancouver, as bad as it's been, they're not far. We've played two all. weeks. Like, yeah, yes. it's two weeks. And people like, I don't know what it is, but this year there just seems to be, I don't know what it is, but I just sense from around the league top people, oh, Jesus, it's a tough start. And it's, it's like it's blown out of proportion more than ever this year early on. St. Louis has played three games. Yeah, they're three and oh. No, I know, but I'm saying they've only played three games. Yeah. That's where we are in the schedule. It just feels like, to quote the old Yogi Berra, it's getting late early for some teams. That's all. Yeah, like it is funny. They played three and San Jose's played eight. So it's a little out. Now, I know they started the two games over in Europe, so that has a part to do with it. But, um, you know, we have Jim Neal coming up. The Dallas Stars are, are off to a very good start. They're they're four, you know, 0-1. The Blues are, are 3-0. and The uh, Penguins, we've got a Crosby-McDavid matchup tonight, Frank. And the uh, I'll say this about the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
Like of all the teams who don't have a regulation loss, they've been the most impressive to me. Like they have crushed teams, like beaten them for fun almost. They've looked really good. And and everybody on their team is scoring a goal in Pittsburgh right now. It's crazy. Crosby's been he's been like 2014 Sidney Crosby again, 2015, 2016. He's been that good. Yeah. He's turned back the clock. I mean, he's how many multi-point games now? You know, you look at the league leaders, he's right up there. You know, just he's keeping pace with McDavid, 10 points. Like it's it's been really impressive. Oh, buddy, I can't, you know, a decade apart, McDavid and 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 Crosby and and it, and it really were and I think people the, the number 30 for great players I, I to me it's 35 now honestly for the 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 great players of the game not the mid-tier guys Frank the guys signed for the the mid-tier guys yeah sure they they can start to to go down after 30 the elite guys I've moved that age up to 35 right like look at what Joe Pavelski did when he signed in Dallas Right. He's been on, he had a career year at what, 38, uh, Sidney Crosby. You know, there's so many other players that are, that are extending their greatness into their mid thirties. And it's because of, I think their, their dedication to the game, their talent, sleeping, nutrition, training, all the stuff is so much more advanced today. It's really allowed the, the human body to extend its, its high level for longer. That's just a fact, I think. Uh, and it's something I'll buy that. that. I think people really have to kind of change their thinking on, right? Uh, you know, for great players, I still don't overpay your your second tier guys, but man, I wouldn't be worried about paying a great player on a big contract. The truly elite, yes, yes. And Sidney Crosby making three million bucks a year for each of these next three seasons. <laughs> yeah, his cap hits eight point seven, but yeah, his he's but probably- still even at eight point seven is just an absolute bargain. Oh, hey, it's been a steal for them and. And really, when you have him and McDavid together uh, tonight on the ice, it, and they're a decade apart, right, in age, you look and say, McDavid could be doing this for another 10 years, right? And I don't think anybody should be surprised by it because Sidney Crosby, who um, I think he's up to, he's one point back of Adam Oates now. He's 19th all-time in points. And if you look at where he goes, man, like Sidney Crosby's got lit. Like, I wonder if Sidney Crosby has an outside chance to catch Jagger. Well, we were just thinking, I just mentioned his, his salary in earnings. He's past Jagger. Sidney, Sidney Crosby is the NHL's highest all-time paid player. $138 million. Jagger was, uh, yep. He's 1 million ahead of Ovi. Oh, is that because he started a year earlier, right? No, they, they both started the same year. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. He's a million ahead. Yeah. A million ahead. It's amazing. And uh, Yager was the previous high at 128. Hmm. So even with the Bargoon, he's still done okay, oh, Sid. Yeah, trust me. Crosby's, you know, yeah. It's, who was it that uh, said, you don't like having the, the best? Oh, yeah, Nathan McKinnon, right? So I'm sure, like, Crosby's cap hits 8.7. But, yeah, because now, hey, he signed the deal at the time, and it was a totally different era um, of the 12-year deals. And, yeah, so now you, you get all the money up front, but you, your last few years of your deal, like when Crosby's contract's over, Frank, I could see him signing a three-year deal, even then at the age of 38, of like 10 yes. or 11 mil. I could too, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so um, the the other storyline to watch is I mentioned uh, Arizona, but the, the – I'm going there season, this week. 
You're going to you're going to the mullet arena. I'm going to the mullet arena opener. I'm gonna wear a mullet to the mullet arena. You better opener. be wearing a mullet to the mullet. Somebody arena. better be. Yeah. Well, oh, like they should be handing them out. Honestly, yeah. that's you're greatest. right. No, that's that's actually what they should do. Yes, there's no question in my mind. Arizona. How do you think Mister Mullet feels about this? The guy who donated all the money for this arena. Oh, I think he's probably loving it. Like, <laughs> look at look at the, his name is on an arena that now is hosting NHL games that no one ever thought. And it's getting a brand new expansion. Like his name is going to be on the arena that looks even better forever. Yeah. Amazing. He expected that when he did it. He's a real businessman. Is his last name really mullet? Yeah. Whoever he is, I have no, uh, I mean, I'll look it up, but it's yeah. Mullet arena. I don't know. I don't know who the, uh, the owner of the mullet is. Uh, Oh, hey, well, while you look it up, Frank, let's bring in uh, Tyler. Your Donald Hi. and Barbara Mullet and their co- their commitment to Arizona State. Ooh, hopefully the mullets are there on opening night. That would be good. Ty, you ever wore a mullet? I don't think so. No, right? no. I've I've had the same haircut my entire life. I've never grown my hair out or anything like that. You're living on the edge. Yeah, I, I like consistency. You know me. Frank, you ever have a mullet? No. Never had a real I never even considered a mullet. I had a little bit of like I had a little bit of long hair, but mine used to get like wings and it would flare out of the like once it got past my shoulder. I had the racing. You used to have hair. Oh yeah, I know, buddy. I was like I wasn't born bald, right? And uh, I got some sick. I got some sick pics. What if you were born bald? That'd be amazing. Oh well, some people are. So um, you know what though? Yeah, hair doesn't bother me not having it, but. Yeah, I never had great hair. That's why even when I had hair, I shaved my head. I just wasn't a big fan of my hair. So, All right, let's get into uh, this week's edition of Fill in the Blank, delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Promo code GAMEDAY25 gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app. The Vancouver Canucks still winless. They get the Hurricanes tonight, the Kraken in Seattle on Thursday, Penguins Friday, Week from tomorrow, it'll be uh, they'll be hosting New Jersey. That's their next four. The question is: the Canucks will get their first win against blank Frank. What are my options? Carolina tonight, Seattle Thursday, Pittsburgh Friday. Were you even listening to the question? Um, no, I was. I just wanted to hear it again. <laughs> Seattle. Yeah, that's probably the, the obvious one. Jay. Um. You're going to say Carolina, aren't you? No, Carolina's lost two in a row. I don't see them losing three. So, um, yeah, that's a big rivalry game, Vancouver-Seattle. But I will go Pittsburgh. Uh, get them, get Pittsburgh at the end of that trip. Yeah, there, there's a part of me. I was really close. I was excited to see what points bet would have the line at for the Vancouver game against Buffalo. Because I was like, oh, man, if the Canucks are underdogs, I'm going to bet them. Like, they're so due. They weren't. They were actually, like, barely significant favorites against the Buffalo Sabres, which didn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, And they're actually not even that big of underdogs tonight against Carolina. So I'm probably staying away from that as well. Uh, We had another example of fans throwing jerseys on the ice. Um, I can't stand it, but I want to know one word to describe fans throwing jerseys on the ice. My word, it's tired. It's done. I'm so sick of it. Jay, your one word. Lame. Mm. Frank. Idiotic. I mean, you just paid all this money, not just to go to the game, but also for the jersey to then what? If it makes you that angry, stay home. Go do something else with your time. Go love your kids. Go do something with yourself. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, it's embarrassing. Embarrassing might be better than idiotic. Yeah. And most people now are throwing it because they want attention. Hey, hey, I threw the jersey on the ice. I'm like, dude, like if that's your claim to fame, it's not pretty good. It's not yeah. very good. Like it's, I like your word tired too, Ty, because, you know, it's happened. It's, it's done. It's over. It wasn't good to begin with. This is not a tradition that makes you look good. And oh, by the way, it doesn't make you look like I'm showing how frustrated I am. As Frank said, don't show up if you're really frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys hinted at this one a little bit here. But Wait, so- hold on. I want to I want to say this, though. Here's the problem with the jersey throwing is that teams actually react to it. And more often than not, something happens in the front office. Either there's a trade or there's a, a coach firing or like Vancouver last year, the GM gets gets fired. Like, but are they connected I mean, or is it just like, oh, yeah. No, I think they're connected because I think the owner sees that as like the that's like the that's the the the. I don't, it's not the white flag, but it's something. It's like he views that. I think they view that as like, oh, no, we can't have the fan base turn against us. Like, we better hurry up and do something. <laughs> yeah. Get well, out I'm there and make it seem like you're doing something. Like, like, I remember when Ben Scrivens in Edmonton, when the Oilers were in the midst of their decade of darkness and they sucked and they had the first jersey on and he picked it up and threw it on his stick and threw it over the glass. Nothing happened from the organization. Probably because there was nothing they could do. Yeah, I'm not terrible. thinking of that. I'm just like, think of all the last jersey throwings. I feel like they've all almost produced something. So, you know, what's funny to me. I couldn't even tell you yeah. who the last one was. Like I've kind of, to me now they're I like, Meh. Last year. I, I honestly can't even remember who was the last one. We, like, we like, went through a stretch last year when like four of the seven Canadian teams had jerseys thrown on the ice. And the Oilers eventually had Tippett fired, I think, after theirs. Yeah, it, that, I think that was thrown on the ice and then Tippett was fired. Like there's, there's almost a cause and effect to all of oh, these weird. things. I'm, I'm actually, you know what, when we're done, I'm going to, this is, this feels like a story today. Yeah. You go look it up. Yeah. Look yeah. up the, uh, the how dumb the Jersey throwing is, but then why it's even dumber that teams react to it. Yeah. But, but would they have reacted either way? That's the thing. That, right? Yeah. That like, was kind of my, maybe. Point. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, you guys touched on this one a little bit. Sidney Crosby having a bit of not a resurgence, but he's having a great season. Uh, 19th in all time league scoring at 1,419 points. He is 171 points away from uh, the top 10. He's 379 away from the top five. The question is, Sid finishes blank in all-time scoring when all is said and done. Frank? I think he finishes fourth. So that would be, uh, he would pass Gordy Howe at 1850 for fourth all-time. Yeah, and falls short of Mark Messier. Jason. So he basically needs 500 points to catch Jagger, right? He's at 1491. Jagger's at 1991. Yeah. So he basically needs 500 points. Um, I, I think, you know, the, well, the start that he's off to, is he going to score hundred points this year? It sure looks like it. Mm-hmm. So at the end of this season, he would need, he would base, cause he's only at 10 points this year. He'd need 400 more points, five years of, of 80 points. Um, the only time he hasn't had 80 point season in his career as being like the years that were shortened due to uh, either injuries or uh, COVID. Sidney Crosby, can he play five more years, score 80 points a year? I believe he can. I think Sidney Crosby is going to be second. Will he play five more years? That's the thing. Yeah. Oh, well, Frank, he's got three years left on his cheap deal. You know he's playing after that to get some big money back. So, yeah, uh, I think he's playing I five more. I, see, that's the only thing is I just question the motivation. Like he's literally done everything you could possibly ever want to do in a career. 
What's going to drive him to keep going? Well, what's driving Tom Brady? What like what drove Sedano Chara? Like, there's so many guys that. This, but not. I I, I'm, he he certainly seems to be that guy. Like I I don't. I think he he could. The only question is, will not everyone does? Will yeah, he? Like Sid to me seems like the guy who's going to play into his 40s. No question. Like he loves the game. Like he's he does. He's obsessed with it. Yeah. But I also so, think Sid, after what he's been through, is someone that really will value his long term health. Oh yeah. But if if he's be like he hasn't had any serious injuries ever since like you go back to what was that two it's only gonna take one man yeah, yeah eleven or twelve sure that but if if it's a knee injury it's different right like I think Sidney Crosby what he went through because they they misdiagnosed they missed the neck right it turned out to be the neck issue more than anything else if he just has like and I say just like an ACL injury and he rehabs that he'll be like this rehabs nothing compared to what I went through uh back in 2011 12 I think Sidney Crosby's playing minimum five more years I think he's going to catch Jagger interesting it'll be one of those things right we're all talking about Ovechkin and his chase down of uh, the goal record but Sid getting into top five maybe top three maybe second all time would be uh, quite the story as well uh let's head over to our and that's the best part so wait he could catch Jagger and then still be like almost a thousand back of Gretzky I know it's it's bananas, dude. I my my son, he's old enough now that he looks up these numbers and he likes to know, like, I like to teach him, you know, other players that were playing around the game. And he talks about this guy's the best. And, you know, Wayne Gretzky, I was telling about Wayne Gretzky's point totals. And he, so the other day he was asking his numbers because he's getting really good at math. And I'm explaining to him, he's like, Hey, he has 2,857 points. 2,850. So who's the next guy? And I'm like, well, Yarmar Jagger's at 1,900. And he's like, yeah, that's like a thousand points. How can you have a thousand more points than everyone else? And I'm like, well, he was that good. He's like, like, is he better than Connor McDavid? I'm like, well, Connor McDavid's faster, but Wayne dominated his era like no one else. And maybe so it is crazy. Like to think he's even little kids are like, he's that much ahead of everyone else. Like he couldn't really believe it. Maybe his so, goal should be to get to 1964 so yes. that that you can no longer say that Wayne Gretzky has more assists than anyone else had points. I was just going to say that. Oh. Yeah, no, that's possible, man. That's very, I think like 2000 points. Hey, that's unreal. I think you'd go. And then the thing is, you know, in 10 years, I think there'll be a legit chance that uh, Connor McDavid is right there because the one advantage early McDavid has is he hasn't missed as many games as Sid did in the first part of his career. Right. Mm -hmm. He had a, a, you know, he had the uh, COVID shortened season. Sure. But he had 105 points in those 56 games. And then McDavid had the one injury early on, this is sort of right around the time of Mc, uh, in McDavid's career where Crosby began to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, right about yeah, because this is what his eighth season for uh, for um, McDavid. Yeah, and you're right because the mm-hmm. I think it was his sixth season for Sid right when he got hurt in 2011. So because that, that's too bad, six, seven, eight, those three years where he played 41, 22, and 36 games. Crazy. That was. Like he, he think about it. If he would have stayed healthy, he'd already be ahead. Second place would be a no brainer. But I, I bet you if someone gave Sidney Crosby true serum, he wants second place. Probably. Yeah. 
Uh, let's wrap it up with our Points Bet Canada bonus question. They got live odds up for all the NHL awards. Today, I want to ask you guys kind of called their related question. Matty Beniers is still the odds-on favorite to win this thing, but the biggest riser so far early in the year has been Logan Thompson between the pipes for the Golden Knights, who's now all the way up to 8-1. to one. He is fourth on the Calder Trophy rankings. My question to you guys, whether it's Thompson or someone else, who's uh, the under-the-radar rookie, maybe, who's grabbed your attention the most so far this season, Frank? Hmm. I just want to make sure I, look, I get a complete view here as I pull all these up. I got mine if you want. Go, Jay. I'll tell you a guy that's really surprised, by the way. Okay, so my guy that not a lot of people are talking about is J.J. Paterka in Buffalo. Oh, yeah, he's a yeah. good, good young player. So, I'll say, now, I don't expect it to stand, but because he's on the power play as a rookie... Kalen Addison in Minnesota. He has six points through five games, right? Like he's a young player defensively, but man, he's gifted offensively. And, and I think he he's been the biggest surprise to me. I, can he can he maintain it? Like he's not going to be a point a game player, but uh, he's been the one guy who's been on the rise because Beniers and Kent Johnson and Shane Pinto and McTavish yeah. and Pinto's been good. Eddie, those guys, lots of people expected them. I like Frank's pick about Paterka. He's a really good young player, and you know Logan Thompson. Ty, I understand why he's up there. And actually, it's probably one that, that I overlooked because you knew he was going to get a huge opportunity. And I just, I didn't even view him as a rookie. But yeah. because, like, the NHL rookie record, I, it's such weird. a weird thing. But, um, yeah, good for him. Like, that's, he'll, if you're a goalie and you play well for 50 games, yeah, he's going to have a legit shot. But the thing is, he might only play 50 games. Um, the rookie I want to give some love to, Edmonton boy, but he's probably the third most talked about rookie on his team. Caden Gooley, four plus four straight games with 20-plus minutes on that Canadian's back end. He's getting some power play time as well. Former Edmonton Oil King off to a good start in his NHL career. Uh, that's going to be a wrap for this week's edition of Fill in the Blank, delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Man, no one said Elmer Soderblom. Yeah, but hey, I do want to say who's the rookie that's getting them. Who is the biggest fan favorite rookie right now, Frank? It ain't close. Who Arbor? is it? Arbor Jackeye. Killing it. He had his, you see, he had a first two point game too. He had a goal and a helper. He is killing it, man. Like that story is unreal. I love that for people. I've been looking for a Halloween costume. I've been thinking about going as a Costco employee and I was going to put Arbor on my name tag. Oh, that would be good. That would be fantastic. But I need a good, I need a good Halloween costume. Yeah. Like man, hit tough guy who who's playing. Like he, he's not just a guy who's playing six minutes a night, right? Like he's playing almost like 15 and a half minutes and he scored a goal. He's got three points. He's got 13 penalty minutes. He's plus two and six games. Like, and like the fans are loving him. He's got, he's got some swagger to him. I love it. Like it's a fun you know, story to watch. You know who else has been pretty good? Nils Lundquist. Hey, let's get to, uh, Jim Nil, the uh, GM of the Dallas Stars. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Our next guest has his name etched on the Stanley Cup four times as a member of the Detroit Red Wings in their front office. As a player, he skated in more than 500 NHL games. The pride of Hannah Alberta is now the fifth longest tenured general manager in the National Hockey League with the Dallas Stars. And on top of all of that, he's one of the true gentlemen of the game. The DFO Rundown is pleased to welcome Jim Nil. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys, and it's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. And Nate, you're presiding over one of the last four teams that's unbeaten in regulation to this point a good start to the year for the Dallas Stars just give us a few words on what the start has been like and what you've seen from your team well we are off to a good start and uh, you know you, you start the season every year you go in you got a plan a a plan b and a plan c and most of the time you end up being on plan d when you start the year so so far things have come together it, it's been interesting uh you know, summer and interesting training camp, you know, new coaching staff. Uh, we, we've implemented a lot of newer players some younger players and you never know how it's going to come together, but uh, there's something that's kind of gelled with this group. Uh, they're, they've really come together. We have a great mix of, uh, you know, some veteran players been around a long time, a lot of experience. Uh, another group of players that are in their 20 you know, 21 to 25 year range. And then another group of players that are a little bit younger. So it's a great mix. They've, they've come together very well. Uh, but I've been around long enough to know it's, it's a long year yet too. So happy to have the great start. We know we got it. We can still improve on a lot of things, but uh, uh, considering, you know, the changes that we've made, we're pretty happy where we're at. Jim, you mentioned interesting summer and certainly a lot of work to do getting Jason Robertson signed as well as Jake Ottinger, a lot to work on. You added Mason Marchman and free agency, among other things. What was the feeling like in, on your end, finally getting all that done just with a few days left before the end of training camp? Well, it was, it was a, it's been a, you know, we've all gone over the last two, three years, been gone through this COVID, everybody in the world, doesn't matter, hockey world, regular, you know, just, just people, Every, it's affected everybody and it was a real condensed summer you know everything was pushed back the Stanley Cup playoffs uh the NHL draft the free agency the signing times arbitration cases so it was a very condensed summer and uh 
and we had a lot of work to get done. You know, we're bringing in a new coaching staff on top of it. So a lot of work to be done, but it was, it was nice to get those guys signed. When I talk about kind of our new core group, the players we're talking about, the Jay Gottingers, uh, the Jason Robertsons, you know, those are a big part of our team now and in the future. So it was important to get those guys signed. Uh, it's never easy. We're in a flat world, flat cap world, and it, it's never easy to get that done. But uh, it worked out well, I think. They're happy with their contracts. We're happy where it's at. So it's a win-win. They're back playing, and uh, and they played well for us. Jim, one of the other big off-season moves you made was uh, you traded your first-round pick this coming year for defenseman uh, Nils Lundqvist. It happened late, uh, almost at the end of September. What what is it that uh, you're so high on Lundqvist? You know, most people are, are really coveting their their 23 uh, first round picks. Uh, what is it about Lundqvist? And I know it's only five games, but uh, what have you liked from him specifically so far? Well, we started to uh, have discussions with New York. Uh, it was actually back in February, March. Uh, they knew they were in a situation where they didn't know if they're going to be able to keep Nils. You know, they got a very they've done a great job with the Rangers. Uh, they got a great young defensive corp there, and. Uh, you know, they, uh, Chris Jury started to make some phone calls that he may have to move a defenseman and that Nils might be the one that uh, he was going to move. We knew Nils well. Uh, it was actually back at the, uh, the, the draft in Dallas. I still remember that. He was right in the mix when we were looking at picking. Our scouts knew him very well. And our kind of attitude on the trade was, you know, when you get a chance to add a, a young player that's uh, we think is going to be a good NHL player, he's 22 years of age, he's gone through his development process, uh, you know, he was drafted, went back to Europe, was a Swedish Elite League Defenseman of the Year. Anytime you can make those a compliment and you're under 22 years of age, you're, we think you got something pretty special. And uh, our scouts liked him. Uh, we lost John Klingberg this year to free agency, uh, you know, part of the situation with the cap. It's just, it's kind of business. And so we had a little bit of a void, right shot offensive defenseman. And uh, it was a heavy price to pay, but we know, uh, we think we're getting a good player and he's shown that to us already. Uh, he's, he's been a big part of our, our team. Uh, he's only 22 years of age. He's got, uh, he's on, he's got two more years of an entry level contract. Uh, so he's very, uh, a great player to have cap wise for us. And, uh, he's playing 17, 18 minutes a night. So we're, we're excited. Uh, and like I said, I, you know, a lot of people ask me, why would you give up a first round pick for it? You know, anytime I can give up a pick, I'm getting somebody that's under the age of 23 and I know he's going to play a long, long time. The draft doesn't always guarantee that. You know, yeah. we've all been around long enough to know. Uh, you know, you're hoping you're getting a great, great player in the first round pick. We're getting a player that's gone through his development phase. He's been already, already over to North America with the Rangers for one year. We hope we're the benefactors of this. Jim, an article about Sean Monahan came out uh, by Arpon Basu recently, talking just about how much pain he's been in. You know, he couldn't sleep through the night uh, due to his hip problems, and and. I I think there's lots of players who play through injuries and are much more severe than, than people recognize. How healthy is Tyler Sagan now? And how, how tough has his, uh, his rehab or injuries been the last few years? Well, they've been very tough. You know, it started in the bubble uh, back in Edmonton. That's when he got banged up and started to have uh, hip problems and knee problems. Probably worked together. Once one thing goes, it probably affects something else. So he ended up having that surgery after the bubble. And 
it's tough. Uh, and there's a lot of players go through it. We had Jamie Benz gone through it. It's, uh, you know, it's something that we're really starting to notice. These hip injuries are getting to be more common. You know, 10 years ago, we all heard about uh, the core injuries and the groin injuries, and now it's becoming more and more hips. And uh, I think it's a lot to do with wear and tear and, you know, sports, young kids playing hockey so much at a young age. And, you know, that's probably another conversation for down the road. But uh, uh, Tyler, he is, he's, uh, he finally feels like himself. He had a great summer of training. Uh, you know, I think some people need to realize is when people, when players have these uh, injuries, you know, they get the surgery done. You're talking, it's one to two years before they really feel like themselves again. You know, you have guys that blow their ACLs. It takes a year before they're back to normal. And uh, so it's a long process. He's had a great summer. Uh, he feels great. And uh, he had a great training camp. He's got off to a good start. Jim, you mentioned the mix of your core and it's fascinating to look at the makeup of your team because you mentioned all the different age ranges and then sort of right in the middle of it, you've got 38 year old Joe Pavelski who has a career (laughs) year last year at age 37. What, how did that happen? Like, where did that season come from for Joe Pavelski? How does a guy hit a career high in 81 points at, at age 37 and what has he meant to your team overall? Well, first of all, what he's meant, he's meant so much. Uh, you know, I was fortunate back in my Detroit days. You know, we we uh, we had a great core, but you're always looking to add something to it. And, you know, we added the Igor Larionovs and players like this that uh, were up in their upper 30s. And I know people get kind of set in their ways. They talk about how once a player hits 30 years of age that uh, it's he's towards the end of his career. And, yeah, some of the skills may diminish. The skating may slow down, but they've – They've got their hockey sense, their commitment to the game, what they bring to the dress room is so valuable. And, uh, uh, you know, they're like a fine wine. And, and yeah, their skills, you know, they might be a little bit slower, but their hockey sense makes up for it. Their competitiveness makes up for it. And that's what Joe brings. Uh, Joe's a pro. Uh, you know, he, uh, he was brought up with Joe Thornton in San Jose, and that's how Joe Thornton was. And uh, it, it's about the team. It's about doing what's right for the team. Uh, it's about being the first guy in the ice in practice. Uh, you know, the goal he scored the other night against Montreal Canadiens. Every morning skate, we go to watch Joe, Joe Pavelski. He's the first guy in the ice. And that play that he made, the first goal was the backhand, a quick backhand over his over the goalie's shoulder. He does that every morning at practice. And it's those little things that these guys bring. And it's their commitment uh, that they bring to the, not only on the ice, but off the ice, uh, in the dressing room, uh, sitting next to a younger player. You know, we, we've got Wyatt Johnson, who's a 19-year-old that uh, we've got on our team right now, and he's living with Joe Pagalski at home. He's driving to the rink every day with him. He's talking hockey with him. He's talking life with him. And uh, those things are invaluable. And uh, that's what creates a strong core in your team. And you, you just hope to pass that torch down every, every year uh, that you have those players. Some of those transitions, though, from maybe some of the older guys to the younger guys, a transition that you guys are making sort of from the Bens and the Sagans down to the Robertsons and the Ottingers and that group, sometimes that doesn't always go smoothly. Why do you think it's been able to – is it that commitment to team that has allowed you guys to really make that transition on the ice? Well, when we started to talk, I talked about plan A, B, and C. <laughs> you, you never know. It is. It's it's something you plan for, and you 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 know you, you hope it's gonna gonna work out. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest. When we started the started training camp, 
uh, and you start the exhibition series and you start the season, you don't know where it's going to go sometime. But uh, as I mentioned, I just had a feeling about this group of guys and we're fortunate. It's kind of been spaced out. You know, everybody talks about rebuilds and uh, they can be painful. And in certain markets, they can be even more painful. And that's something in Dallas, uh, you know, you want to be good all the time. You got to win all the time. And uh, that's something we talked about. And we're fortunate. Our amateur scouts, our pro scouts have done a great job. Uh, you know, to have the drafts we've had over the last four or five years to bring in the Rupi Hintzes, the Ottingers, the Mio Haskinens, to be able to transition from the Janie Bins and the Sagans, uh, you know, Jake Ottinger now has transitioned from Ben Bishop. And so we've been very fortunate. Our, our scouts have done a great job. Uh, we've signed some great free agent. Mason Marksman's come in. It's been a great fit for us. You know, we were getting a little bit worried. We're in a tough division. It's a heavy, heavy division. And, you know, something we always talk about, you, it's a fine line. you got to be skilled enough to make the playoffs, but you got to be heavy, hard enough to survive in the playoffs if you're going to have any success and that's a fine line when you're building a team and that's where Mason Marshman has been a big addition for us he's come in I was getting a little bit worried about our size a little bit getting a little bit smaller uh, but more skilled it's a good thing but you still need that size and that presence and Mason's come in and kind of added that to us and then you add that in with the players that have come along we think that we've transitioned kind of from one group but that group's still here into another group and we still get another group coming. So we think we're in a pretty good spot right now. Jim, you mentioned Wyatt Johnson and because, because of COVID his career path is unlike almost anyone I've seen. So when you draft, you know, he scored uh, 30 points as a 16 year old and then his draft year, he only played in the world juniors. He didn't play one game in the Ontario hockey league and you, you still took him in the first round uh, he goes back to junior and he scores 124 points in 68 games. If people just look at his stats, they'll see a guy who went from 30 points to 124. Granted, there was a, a year in between of not playing. Um, that year of scouting, Jim, you've been scouting a long time. How much of it was a was more of a crapshoot than ever that you drafted a player who hadn't played a game due to COVID the entire draft year? Well, it, it was different times, and that's where I, I have to tip my hat to my amateur scouts, and really Joe McTanell, my head head scout. When we're out scouting, we're always scouting the uh, underage players also. You know, you keep an eye on them. Who's the next guy coming up? You want to, as soon as you can get a book on somebody, start getting building up a resume, you, you want to get all the information you can. And our scouts did a good job. He was in Windsor as a 16-year-old. All of a sudden, COVID hits. And uh, you're right. He ended up playing seven games that year at the under-18s down in Dallas. And he played a third-line role. But uh, our scouting staff and really Joe really liked him as an underage, did a lot of homework on him, did some digging. We watched those, watched him play those seven games down in next. We're fortunate down in Dallas at their 18s. And Joe just had a gut feeling for him. He, uh, he talked to a lot of people. Uh, he went off his, you know, what he'd seen before as an underage. And sometimes you just have a feeling for it. And uh, that's where I, I tip my ass to our scouting staff. We were able to get him uh, because of where we thought he might go in the draft. It gave us the opportunity to kind of move down a little bit which we did and that afforded us another pick which allowed us to draft a Logan Stanko in the second round so it ended up being a kind of a double whammy those two guys together and uh, it worked out well for the organization but like I said that's why I got to tip my hand to my scouting staff they did a great job and Jim so where are you at with a guy like Wyatt Johnson 124 points you can't go to the minors you can either go back uh, to junior or not now I know that you know the nine game point comes up uh 
he, he seems to be playing quite well in the games I've watched. It doesn't look like a player who, who looks overwhelmed at all. You mentioned earlier it's early. Um, is the thought process even, you know what, even if it's 40 games, you know, if, if we find before the 40-game mark, if we have to do it, you know, we don't worry so much about the ECL, more so just the first year. Kind of where are you at and what your plan is long-term for Johnson? Yeah, that, you, you kind of touched base on it. We're, we've been watching them, you know, watching them right from training camp and it's been interesting when, you know, you start putting him in exhibition games and, and he did well, uh, you know, almost every game I start, you know, I'm keeping a close eye on him and so is Pete DeBoer. You know, he's the one that hands out the ice time and uh, he's, he's given him 13 to 16 minutes every night. Uh, he's matching up on the road. You know, he's a center iceman. It's tough for young players, a center iceman to come in the first year in the league. It's a lot of responsibility, but he's handled it. Uh, you know, I watch the games. I, the first period starts, and I start thinking, oh, boy, he might be a little bit over his head tonight. And all of a sudden, by the second or third period, he's one of the guys making the most plays on the ice. Uh, he's been great on our power play. He's got great hockey sense and vision. We're going to continue to monitor it, but so far, he looks like he's earned a spot. I, I give him credit. And, uh, you know, you do worry about the one-year burning, but as you mentioned, you know, do you go 20 games, 30 games, 40 games? We'll play that by year. Um but right now, he's earned a spot. He's on our second play, power play unit. And uh, Pete DeBoer's comfortable put him on the ice in any situation. The other night, uh, he put him out there in four and four and three and three. And uh, even had him killing penalties in one game. I, can't, I still remember, came down to the coach's room after the uh, after the game. I said, Pete, you're getting pretty confident with him. Put him on, on PK in a 3-1 game. And he just laughed. And I looked at Elaine Nazardin, who runs the PK. And I said, what did you think, Elaine? And he just kind of laughed like, I was thinking the same thing, but it worked out. So, so it's, it's interesting to see how, you know, the coaches got confident in him that I've been around a long time. Coaches don't just give a position to a young man, whether they like him or they don't like him. You have to earn it. And uh, he's earned Pete's trust, his teammates trust and uh, the organization's trust. So the young man's done a great job. Jim, I got to ask you about Rupe Hints. He's, you know, I've been working on this project on our website of, of archetype rankings and going through all the, the numbers and the analytics. I, I, I kind of wonder if Rupe Hints is one of the more underrated players in the league. He doesn't get enough attention league wide because he's such a monster in so many different categories and plays such an important role for your team. He's absolutely relentless on the puck. What's it like watching Hints up close and, you know, not to add to your list, but I'm sure you know, you know, in the final year of his deal, that's the next sort of project, I guess, that you've got to tackle in terms of getting a contract done. Yeah, I know Rupi is a big part of you. I talked about that secondary core that's coming up. He's part of that group. Uh, he was a second round pick of ours. Uh, he's a great uh, development story. You know, he's a young man that was drafted, wasn't still unpolished. Uh, as a young man, he went down to Florida. Uh, to work with a power skating instructor. This was when he was, I believe, 14 or 15 years of age. And uh, then went back to Finland. Uh, he's six foot three, 230 pounds. He can skate like the wind. He's strong. He's got great skills, and he's a big part of our team moving forward. And uh, he is under underrated. I remember when we were in the bubble, and uh, we ended up getting to the finals. I had uh, different media people call, and they said, you know, you know, who should we watch in your team? And they never brought his name up. And I'd always have to bring it up to them. And uh, I think he's slowly starting to evolve. That people are starting to recognize him. But uh, he is—he's he's, a—he's a powerful young man. Uh, he, you can put him in any situation. 
offensively, defensively. Uh, he's been a great fit with uh, Jason Robertson and Joe Pavelski. They just the, the chemistry is just unbelievable to watch, how they just have a feel for each other. But uh, he's a big part of our core, and uh, he is somebody that uh, we're going to have to get signed up here uh, over the next this season and that. And uh, But uh, we're fortunate to another great pick by our amateur scouts. Have you done any work on that file? Has there been any progress in terms of a contract or is that something that'll wait? That's I've talked to his agent. I said, I wanted to get through uh, this summer with Jason Robertson and Jake Onger. And uh, I've touched base a couple of times with his agents and uh, that's something we're going to work on moving forward. Do you want to go back to your comments about Mason Marchman? Just you felt like, you know what, we, we needed to mix in some some size. You, you've been parts of, as Frank outlined in the beginning, you know, Stanley Cup winners. And, you know, skilled size in today's game. Like, you know, you, you can have some small players, no question about it, in, in the league. But ultimately, it, you know, size in the playoffs really matters. Did Did you feel your team did get pushed around previously and, and you no know, outside of his skill, of course, cause he's a good player, but how important is size and then really just the diversity of a lineup? Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's the question is that maybe you're an amateur in pro meetings. It's what comes up. And it, it's probably one of the biggest questions there is, you know, you gotta be, I, I you got to be skilled enough. It's a skilled league and it's getting even more skilled. You know, the skill level of these young players is amazing, but there is a size factor that comes into play. Uh, it, uh, the anybody that watched the NHL playoffs and if you've been involved in the NHL playoffs, it's it's a it's a war, it's a battle, it's it's you know to to, to win four seven game series, it, it is hard, it, it's tough, and uh, it's so competitive, and it, it's a real fine mix. You know, you talked about our team. Was I worried about it? Yeah, a little bit, yes, because you know we we had Jamie Alexiak, we had Stephen Johns. You know, Stephen, unfortunately, because of his injuries, Jamie, we lose in a, a expansion. You, you lose two guys that are six foot four, one guy's six four, and one guy's six eight. You know, the big parts of your team, and uh, we've lost some. You know, Blake Coma was a forward. We had a big heavy forward, so it, it's a real fine line that Knicks. I think Colorado Avalanche are a great example. You look mm-hmm. at Colorado; they're as skilled as anybody. But the missing pieces that put them over the hump were the uh, the heavy, hard guys. You know, geez, why did they go get uh, Manson? You know, why did they get some of these players that they picked up? They knew they had to add some of that to it because it's it's really it, it's survival. I still remember the first time we won the Stanley Cup in, in uh, Detroit, and uh, congratulating Stevie Eisman after the after we'd won it on the ice, and he said, "Jim, I'm whipped." I'm, I just want to get this equipment off. I'm, I'm taxed out. Like you're just, you're mentally and physically worn out after you win the cup. And, uh, so it, it, it does come into play. And, uh, the scary part about our game nowadays is the skilled players. Some of them are the biggest players too. And uh, which is great. Uh, but you know, where do you find those guys, but they're starting to be more and more of them. So it, it does come into play and it's, it's the, probably the biggest battle we have in amateur meetings is that fine line balance of, you know, you got a small skilled guy and a larger guy that's six, four and might have potential down the road. And, it, and it's, a, it's, it's the fine line. It's a gut feeling that uh, scouts have to make. And you, know, you talked about Mason Marchman. He's a great guy because we were talking about him the other day. He kind of really throws out all the uh, scouting that you do in the world and everything else. Here's a young man that uh, was never drafted, yeah. had troubles getting tryouts, 
we still remember we were down in Austin, our American League teams in Austin, and we are uh, playing Toronto. This would be four or five years ago in the AHL American Hockey League finals, and he's on the Toronto team. He was a guy, he was a walk-on, got a try with Toronto Marlies, was developed, came along, ended up being part of a trade, went to Florida, and here he is at 27 years of age, uh, and he's an impactful player now. And, and he's one of those guys that, you know, down the road, somebody in the scouting league said, oh, he'll never make it, you know, write him off here he is he showed up on the scene at 25 26 27 so it's uh, uh it's those type of guys that really make it tough in the scouting fraternity when you got your mindset on what you're looking at who's going to make it who's not and uh, he, he's a great example well yeah late developer for sure and you know an or even if an organization had drafted him they might not have hung on to him uh, because you know you're hard to be patient to think if he's ever going to become a player now speaking of uh, hanging on to things uh gary bettman came out and a little bit of a teaser potentially for GMs and spending that the, the salary cap potentially could go up 4.5 million, Jim. When you think about the trade deadline, realistically, do you, do you think you got like, will, will the league give you a better assessment closer and, and how will that change it? Because if you can acquire someone maybe with term, knowing the cap's going to go up four and a half compared to maybe it only goes up a million. Do you think that needs to be in place before the deadline to make the job easier for GMs? Yeah, I think we're going to get a better feel for it as we get to the deadline. You know, a lot of things have to come together. Uh, you know, you, you kind of mentioned it's potentially a chance to be at 84. We, you know, we're, we know that ourselves internally. Yes, if everything works out well, I think it could, we could jump up 4 million, but we also know that things could, who knows where things go. We've learned this over the last three, four years just to be kind of cautious too. So we're going to monitor it. Uh, I think we'll have a better feel, as you mentioned, once we get to February. March, we'll have a better feel where things are at. Um, but it's, it's nice to know that our game is getting out of this COVID era, that we are fighting out of that, and it shows that our game's in a good spot, which I think that's the most positive thing to, to hear from all that. Awesome, Jim. Uh, we always like to finish up with rapid fire. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer the question. <laughs> all right. Fire away. Okay, so uh, earlier uh, this week, it was an uh, Lou Lamarillo that becomes the first 80-year-old GM in NHL history. You're a young buck at 64. Will Jim Neal be a GM at 80? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so, but no. <laughs> um, the 2017 draft for the Dallas Stars, Miro Heiskanen, Jake Ottinger, Jason Robertson, your first three picks, defense, a goalie, and a forward, have all become elite. Is that the best draft class you've ever been a part of? For your yes, team? it would be up there. Yes, it would be up there. Yes. When you left the draft, did you think it was going to be that good? Uh, well, I'd say yes, because we knew who Miro was for sure. And we had a good feel for the other two guys. Uh, and we filled a big void, especially with our goalie situation. Uh, Jason Robertson, did we think he'd come along this quick? Uh, no. So he's been a real pleasant surprise. And then Jake, as quickly as he's done his things, he's done it quicker than we thought he would also. Which other sports league, Jim, would you, if you could in a fantasy world, would you like to be a GM of? Oh, great question. PGA. <laughs> nice weather <laughs> out there working on my swing with other, some of these other guys <laughs> how is your golf game Jim average yeah and as soon as you become a GM your golf game really takes a beating it's tough you have no game <laughs> yeah no game other than Kenny Holland 
he seems to he manages. Uh, have you been on one of Holland's um, golf trips? Yes, I have. Yes, yeah. some of the best trips ever. Uh, as as everyone knows, Kenny's a great, just a great passion for for the golf game, and uh, he's a great golfer himself. And uh, I always enjoy those are some great trips over to Europe and and in Canada. Well, he explained to me once that, I don't know, I think he might be more passion for his golf tournament than anything else. And he just explained <laughs> to me all the rules and the games you guys play and everything like that. Like, um, it, it gets rather competitive, but there seems to be a lot of strategy involved in, in like, who plays where and what best ball you're in and, and all that. Like, is it as competitive as he made it sound? It is as competitive. I'll, I'll share a little story. Uh, so we're, it's back in Detroit days, and we're in Traverse City having development camp. And we're, we're sharing, sharing a condo together. And he had left for a few days to go back to Detroit. And he left some of his papers sitting there. And I thought they were scouting papers or, you know, hockey operations paper. And I, I took a look at it and it was all golf. It was all the uh, golf matchups and uh, fantasy things he's all doing. It, it, we were more focused on that at the time in the summer than the, the, the team was at the time. But uh, I've never seen a guy so passionate about golf. Uh, he loves it. And uh, it's actually great to see because that's his kind of relief from the from the sport now you mentioned golf would you be pga or live gm oh that's a good one not pga you got to stick with stick with tradition stick with tradition and in dallas what is what is because detroit was a hockey market forever you, you come to dallas what has surprised you most about the hockey market in dallas very passionate uh I'd say passionate. Now, I know they're passionate about all sports, but uh, they do love their hockey, and uh, they just want to be entertained, and uh, they, they, they do support it very well. And lastly, best food if you're coming into Dallas. What's the one restaurant we need to go eat at? Ooh, ooh there's a lot of good ones. Uh, there's a great Mexican restaurant. Unfortunately, I don't have the name of it right now, but it's right down close to downtown um and it's right along the walkway i can't think of the name it i apologize but uh, so some great great mexican food great steak places jim we appreciate you joining us in the dfo rundown thank you very much well thank you for having me on and uh, look forward to speaking to you down the road jim nail man he is one of the true gentlemen of the uh, game. I love his honesty, Frank, but think about it. Hey, don't rule out more 80 year old GMs. Uh, Lou Lamarillo, a belated happy birthday to Lou. Uh, 80 years as a GM. Uh, Jim Neal's like a young buck at 64. He's got a yeah. lot of runway left. He signed, a, I think, a one year extension this summer. And I think a lot of people were like, well, what does that mean about the status of Jim Neal in, in Dallas? And I think at his age, I think he's perfectly comfortable. Uh, with that arrangement. And on top of that, you saw the story this past weekend, David Poyle in Nashville hits 3000 games. The first ever general manager to hit that milestone. He's been in a GM's chair for 39 of the last 40 years. And I thought one of the interesting nuggets in that story from Nick Katsunika at NHL.com was that David Poyle has operated on a series of one year deals for each of the last 10 years. So if David Poyle can do it, anyone can do it. And, uh, you know, just interesting to watch. I love the honesty you mentioned from Jim Nil, but that one answer really caught me by surprise, which was, it was a great question by you about Robertson, Ottinger and Haskin and all going in the same draft. But 
to say that it was up there, I mean, that's the guy that presided over some of the incredible drafts by the Detroit Red Wings in which they brought some serious talent over to the NHL. So if he says that that was uh, among the very best ever, well, then I think you got to take his word for it. Well, the thing that's unique about it, it's a goalie, a defenseman, and a center, all forward, all on one draft, your first three picks. Like that draft class, Dallas Stars fans, that basically sets your organization up for 15 years that you, you know, you're, you should be somewhat competitive. Obviously you got to build around with the rest of them. And, and uh, it looks like, you know, like they, they might have a, a steal in, in, um, you know, in, in Wyatt that we talked about earlier, Frank, because they, you know, you, you a free agency is great. And, and they got Mason Marchman in there. And, and obviously that's a huge edge. Like there's never a bad thing to get a, a really good free agent, but for the most part, most of your best players got to come internally. And, uh, you know, why Johnson there's, there's a rookie that not a lot of people are talking about. Look at his minutes played. And, and if the coach is putting him as a rookie, that's like Anton Lundell. Anton Lundell led the Panthers in penalty kill minutes last year as a rookie. Like that's crazy to me. So uh, if why Johnson's starting to get some uh, PK time on a good Dallas team, like it's easy to be a rookie Frank and play a lot of minutes on a bad team. Cause they don't have better players, but to be a rookie who gets to play a lot of minutes on a good team, that to me is a, a much bigger accomplishment. I'm, honestly, I'm looking through this Red Wings draft years, and there have been some unreal years. He might be right, though. Yeah. You might be right. No, honestly, I looked at it. I thought, like, when you look at any team, like, there's now the, the, the Edmonton orders the, the year that they had uh, their first draft class turned out pretty good with Messier and, and Curry and, and Kevin Lowe, right? Three Hall of Famers. So. That's a pretty good one, but you got to go way back. If you look, yeah, at I mean, I, you're looking at the Red Wings in '89, maybe, yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, it probably takes the cake. It's Lidstrom, Lidstrom draft. and Fedorov in the same yes. draft, third and fourth round. Yeah, but you also had Mike Sillinger in the first round, who played more than a thousand games, and Dallas Drake played more than a thousand games in the sixth round. Yeah, and so you got Konstantinov, whose career was cut short in the eleventh round. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. That one could be it for sure. That's probably it, but that's. At the time of the draft, right? Like, that's the thing why I asked him. I said, were you that confident when you left the draft? Jim, no, I don't think was working for the Red Wings then. Yeah, well, maybe not. There you I go. think he was finishing his playing career, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. in the 1980s. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, if you think about it, this probably is the best that he's ever seen. His yeah, first maybe. year working as a scout was 91-92 with the Sens. Oh, there you go. All right. So, awesome. Frank? Um, enjoy some downtime, get some sleep as you prepare for the, uh, world series. When is game one? Is it Friday? Friday night in Friday probably. Night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Houston, in Friday Houston, night. Houston, so yeah. Friday, Saturday in Houston. So then it's going to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in Philadelphia. Whew. City is going to be rock. Buckle up. Oh, have a good week. And, uh, Hey, buckle up in Vancouver, Frank. Uh, Frank thinks his spidey senses are tingling. Yeah. I don't think this is going to go on forever. Ah, uh, geez. I don't know. They just, you know what? If they win um, in one of their next two games, I think it all kind of calms down a bit. But man, if if they don't, whew, the heat's mm-hmm. gonna be on. But they're lucky. There's lots of teams in the West that are off to slow starts. Two wins, and suddenly Vancouver's like, oh, we're like a point out of the playoffs. I yeah, uh, I think it's more the, it's it's the symptoms, not the end result. Okay, awesome. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.